You are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. Top of the morning to you. How the heck are you? Hour two of Miller and Moulton along the network. Bill Bender, the Sporting News, will join us in a little more than 30 minutes' time. Seth Everett next hour. We'll also head to Orlando. Big night in Orlando last night. They retired their first ever number in Orlando Magic history. It was the big fella. It was the diesel. It was Shaq. Apparently, Mark, they had put players in their Hall of Fame, if you will. Right. Ring of Honor, whatever it is that, you know, teams call their thing. But they had not put a jersey up in the rafters before. You know, franchise been around 30 years. And so they uh, they finally retired somebody's uh, jersey, and they started with Shaq. Good spot to start. It is, even though he played just the five years in Orlando. Did you see the Orlando Magic 30 for 30? I did not. It's excellent. First off, it's a great trip back in which a lot of us in our middle age or older, you know, we we don't give the Magic the credit. I mean, how good and entertaining they were. That, you know, we thought actually what the Miami Heat have become, it we it was happening in Orlando first. You know, they go to the finals in 95. They go to the conference finals, you know, in, in 96. You know, and then Shaq leaves. I mean, the Heat didn't get to their first conference final until 97 with Alonzo Mourning. They don't get to their first NBA final until... You know, they win it in 06. You know, but Orlando was the place. Remember, Tim Duncan was going to go there in free agency. Grant Hill was going to go there, you know, went there in free agency. You know, I mean, that's the place where everybody was going to go. They were going to Orlando before they were going to Miami. And we forgot just how trendy and fun in the NBA that they were. And then, poof, Shaq leaves. A few years later, Penny gets hurt. And, you know, they had that moment in time with Dwight Howard. But you know, otherwise, it's been a struggle. But anyway, it I highly recommend it. All right. The I, mid-'90s it, Magic are probably one of the most forgotten-about teams in history as far as what they accomplished because they are one of – along with the bad boys, probably the only team that ever beat Michael Jordan. And it slips through the cracks because that was when Jordan came back from baseball. Right. But we they don't beat give him. them credit for it. Right, because we thought Joel Jordan wasn't really in shape. And, you know, it's the only time we ever saw Michael throw a game away. You know, Michael gave helped give away game two. The Bulls won game one, and they were, you know, it was a lot like, you know, Mark, you're a, a, you're a Magic fan and not Orlando Magic, Magic Johnson fan. And remember the 84 finals, Lakers-Celtics. So Lakers won game one, and they're 30 seconds away from sweeping in Boston and going home. Hell, they're going to win this series in four. And Magic with a key turnover in the final 30 seconds. Steal, layup, forces overtime, they lose. And, it, it, and then we had a long series, and the Celtics won in seven. Well, Michael threw, helped throw away game two. 
and Orlando stole it. Got back in the series, went to Chicago, won a game, ended up winning in six. And that's the only time we really ever saw Jordan fail down the stretch in a big spot. And so we gave him a pass. We said, well, you know, come on. He was playing baseball two months ago. He's not in shape. Then they came back the next year. They won like, what, 70-something games? Destroyed everybody? But anyway, so they retired Shaq's number. We'll uh, talk to the radio voice of the Magic uh, about uh, that. We asked the question of you today on Valentine's Day. What was your first sports love? What made you fall in love with sports? This person says, I fell in love with football when my parents let me play Pop Warner in the sixth grade. I've been obsessed ever since. Okay. By the way, Trent, it wasn't that long ago. You're 24. But the very first, don't rattle off four things, the very first sports love that you had, player or team, go. It was the Detroit Tigers. Because they went to the World Series in 06 when I was six years old. So I remember Justin Verlander, his rookie year, Kenny Rogers, obviously Placido Polanco, Maglio Ordonia is the deeper cuts, but JV <clears throat> fell in love right away with JV. Loved him. Thought this was a great tribute. This guy says, my mom had me when she was in high school. She was still able to go and graduate from Virginia Tech, so I grew up on the Hokies campus in the early 90s. Frank Beamer, Hokies football was my first love. There you go. Boy, how big a deal that had to be in 99 when right. they were playing for the national title against Florida State. A little Metallica rocking in, in Virginia Tech there. That, that's, yeah. that place used to rock. I think for some of us, that's one of those teams we'd like to see get back to where they were. That was a you, – you knew you were going and playing Beamer ball. You knew you were in for it. No, you did not want to go to Blacks. Even the great uh, Canes teams in the early 2000s, the – I would say the best college football team I ever saw in person, the 0-1 Canes. You know, they survived a two-point game at Vatek late in the regular season. You know, without Michael Vick also. I mean, it was just a tough place to play. So that's what we're asking. So, your your sport your first sports love on this Valentine's Day. I've got a stat here for you that I saw this morning, David. Okay. That just a little little football stat for you. Since 2001, there have been 125 drives in the NFL postseason where it was at least the fourth quarter and there was under a minute left to play. The team on offense trailed by seven points or fewer at the start. It says these are your standard clutch moments, the do-or-die drives that win or lose critical games. Out of those 125 drives, only 40% of them saw the team on offense pull off the 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 points that were needed. Okay. Brady, as you imagine, was pretty good at it. He was 5 of 11, 46%. Drew Brees, 3 for 6, 50%. You want to take a guess at what Mahomes is in those situations? Well, he's had a lot of them. I mean, you know, it's another similarity between the Chiefs and the Patriots, Mark. Remember the Patriots – Form that dynasty. All the Super Bowls were close. So many playoff games were close. The Chiefs have had a ton of close wins. Um, I don't know, five of eight? Seven of seven. <laughs> He's seven <laughs> of seven. <laughs> so when people start 
trying to say he's the GOAT or he's pulling in on the GOAT or he's in the conversation of the GOAT. Yeah, he is in the conversation. So, and I'm being serious here when I say this. Do you keep that with you if you're a head coach next year and the year after? And do you go for it maybe on a fourth down situation because you're like, listen, you, you got to kill this guy to beat him. Feel that Settling for the field goal here, no matter how it may look on the scoreboard, unless it's going to take us from six to nine and make it a two-score lead, that do you – because, like, I heard a caller at a Pat show yesterday who thought that the Niners in overtime – should have gone for it on fourth down. Remember, they're, I think they're inside the five. And obviously we know that they didn't block Chris Jones and Purdy had to throw it away. And if it wasn't for that blocking mistake, the Niners likely would have scored a touchdown because they had two guys wide open. One guy in the right flat and Ayuk running a post and the cornerback fell down. So, I, I mean, it, Purdy, you got to figure they're going to score a touchdown there in overtime if not for that mistake up front. And he, what he was wondering was, it was like, I think, third and three, third and a long two. And he's like, you know, I, I really thought they should have run the ball. He goes, because to me, you couldn't settle for a field goal there. You, you got two plays. You got to make this happen. And I'm just wondering now, do you give Mahomes that much respect? Remember when Belichick, the famous, you know, he didn't want to give the ball back to Peyton, so he went for it fourth in the yard and a half on his own 28. Okay, and it was a regular season game, but he's just like, listen, it didn't matter if I gave the ball to Peyton on the 28 or we kicked it 60 yards. He was going to beat us. We, He was going to beat us. And, you know, the Patriots defense didn't want to hear that, but Belichick's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. He was going to beat us. I'm just wondering now going forward, if you get in a situation like that with Mahomes and the Chiefs, do you pull a Dan Campbell? I, or is that giving him too much respect? I don't think that it is, David. Maybe it is giving him too much respect, but he is showing that he's unstoppable in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's pretty good. Playoffs and all seven for seven. Right, with the game on the line. Mm-hmm. He's perfect. Hmm. Wow. And yet the irony is the one time uh, lately when they didn't get to the Super Bowl, they had that big lead at the half against the Bengals and blew it in the AFC title game. So it's funny. So I just thought that was an amazing little stat that I had found there. We've got a poll question up already. How much money did you spend on your significant other? Zip zilch nada. The $1 sign with card flowers and candy. The $2 signs with a nice dinner. And the $3 signs with jewelry. And so far, you're a bunch of cheap bastards. Not one of you bought jewelry from your significant other for Valentine's Day. Wow. Only 19% of you took her to a nice dinner. A third of you going card, flowers, and candy, but 48% of you. Zip, zilch, nada. I'm one of the 48% 
I, I do want to clarify, though, I was threatened by my wife if I spent any money on her. And I said, can I at least get you a card? And she said, no, I'd rather have the five, six bucks for a Starbucks. So I gave her a $20 bill on the table before I left town for four days. Here, go nuts. Go crazy. Think inappropriate thoughts of me while you're sipping your caramel macchiata venti there or whatever. What was that she orders? Uh, (laughs) It's a a hot caramel uh, macchiata, I think. You're close. Okay. I don't know. I don't I don't do coffee. I just know occasionally she'll text me and say, hey, while you're out, uh, get me one of these. And I'm one of those very old sounding guys. Yeah. Can I get one of those venties? You're listening to Miller and Moulton only on the Florida Sports Network. 21 minutes past the hour. Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Some big news in the last week in college football. And since he covers the sport for a living, we figured we have him on the show. Bill Bender. In a little more than 15 minutes' time, Trent Bally and the play of the day. The Molly made play of the day. See the different voices I'm using there? Yeah. Don't know which one I'm going to stick with. It's just all over the place. You know. Trent Bally in the play of the day. That was very much welcome back. Three, two in the seventh. You know, that was your Brock. That was your Brockmeyer. Right. And then I went really low with Molly made play of the day. You know, a little James Earl Jones announcer. A little more Vanderbilt right, but that's you you like to go to the Vanderbilt right. CNN headlines sports. Yep. So uh, anyway, uh, Trent in the play of the day coming up. So. We have a poll question. How much money did you spend on Valentine's Day? And apparently our audience is either a bunch of cheap blanks or they're broke, one or the other. Or they're like Trent and they just don't have a Valentine. They're saving up, though. They're putting away like 7 bucks a year until they find that girl from Appleton, Wisconsin. And then they're going to go nuts. But uh, Mark asked on our text line, 21,000, which you can also then chime in and answer, in our Twitch chat room, which many of people are doing. Mark asked, hey, how about a sports Valentine's question? What was your first sports love? Team, athlete, what have you? And Mark, here's some of the answers on in the Twitch chat room, because you monitor in the text line. In the Twitch chat room, guy who goes by Sled Puppy says it was the 77 Canadians and Guy Lafleur. That was his first love. Finn's Brett fell in love with Notre Dame and the 77 National Championship team. Joe Montana, quarterback, Ross Browner, Bob Golick. They went to Texas in the Cotton Bowl. They beat undefeated Earl Campbell and the Longhorns, 38-10 to win the national title. Brizzy B fell in love with the Niners. Made it sound as if it was during the Montana years. Johnny Mack's first sports love that he remembered, Roger Staubach. He then also threw in... Okay, he had the NFL, a- NFC, AFC sheets. I don't know if I, I if I, I had did. the sheets or the comforter. I, I know I had one or the other. I'm going to have to check with my mother today. Had the sheets, had the pillowcases. Yeah. Yeah, I, I must have because I had the pillowcases. The pillowcases, yes. NFC was blue. AFC was a reddish orange. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had them. I will say the first team 
that I remember is the 73 Mets. I was just shy of eight. I do remember watching that World Series against the A's. The first game I ever went to, though, was a couple months later. I was turning eight. My grandfather took me to the second-to-last Giants game ever played at the original Yankee Stadium. Before they redid it in 74 and 75, and they took out the columns, and they made it smaller. And that's the Yankee Stadium that most people remember. You know, Reggie and the Yankees and the home. It didn't look like that. You know, the Yankees played two years at Shea Stadium. In 73, I remember, Mark, I sat next to a column, one of those columns, and you could get an obstructed view seat. Trust me, I went to Tiger Stadium as a kid, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And I still have the ticket stub. It's December of 73, all right? And I'm pretty sure it was the Giants and the Eagles, and I know one of the two quarterbacks was Norm Sneed. That I remembered. Funny thing is he played for both teams, so I can't tell you who he was quarterbacking for that day. But that's – so anyway, so it's – it's and that's why it's always been really close between the Mets and the Giants because literally within two months of one another, right, as I'm seven turning eight, Mets were in the World Series, went to a Giants game, and I'm pretty sure that was the first sporting event I ever went to, and I went with my grandfather, who I idolized. And my first sporting event was a Tigers game, and my next one after that would have been a Michigan State football game, and those are my two teams for sure. But the Tigers were first. The first player that I really remember, though, is a minor league hockey player because that's what was in my town. And going to see that team, and they won the championship in 1976, and going to the, you know see them in the final game. I remember they won 5 nothing in Game 7. I remember being at the game. I remember the players, and those were my heroes growing up as a little kid. Trent? Who's your dad? If your dad were to answer right now, because your dad and Mark grew up together, the same age, the whole deal. So, who do you think your? How would your dad answer this? I mean, he's always been a Lions diehard, but the '86 Tigers are, or '84 Tigers, excuse me, that'd probably be his true answer with a lie detector. It's a you big guys were the, 15. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the wheelhouse right there, baby. Kind of a big deal, and Pistons. because of that start, they're off to that unbelievable start. 35-5. And, and, and so yeah. it was an easy bandwagon to jump on, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And All Sparky right, so, was so likable, too. If he was if he was your guy in your foxhole, you loved Sparky. Uh, you know, uh, Joe in our Twitch chat room, the Broad Street Bullies, so the Flyers of the early to mid-70s there. Okay. Uh, Shake Zula, the 91 Braves. Okay. That, that's a, that was the beginning of the run, which seemingly is not ended. I mean, it literally, they took like a three-year hiatus. They said, we got to catch our breath. We're tired. Okay, Chipper's got to retire. Could you just could you just give us a, a moment and tell you, we're coming back with a vengeance? It really has. I mean, it's a remarkable Braves run here. It's 30-plus it's, it's years, really. I like this guy on the text line. Says, I fell in love with a 1998 Brazilian soccer team. I was six years old going on seven. They lost the World Cup final to France that year. Look at that. It's a little off the board. I like it. RCB says he fell in love with the 79 Buccaneers. Fourth year of existence. They were awful their first three years. They went to the NFC Championship game that year. Leroy Selman, Doug Williams. Good for you. 
So what was your first sports love? 21,000 is the text line. You can always chime in in the Twitch chat room. You can even post it on X to either of us. Mark, do you remember your first love, though, not sports love? First, first girl you had a crush on? I do. Sheila Alt. Trent's laughing at us. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because Mark's just ga- like gave her a shout out. Like, shout out. Yeah. She I, Sharon McCann for me. Chased that her all simple. through grade school. Couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah. Wouldn't go out with me. She, she was uh-huh. the prettiest girl in kindergarten. I don't know what to tell you. It's yeah. set your sights high and then expect a lifetime of letdowns. Time now for our Molly made play of the day. After that lovely intro, what do you have for us, Trent? The Lightning did win in a shootout last night, so I'll shout them out before I go in a different direction. Cut me a little bit of slack here. This game was huge for the sake of Miller and Moulton and the gambling picks. And Wednesday is our day with Seth Everett coming up in about an hour. So we're going to Syracuse, New York. Oh, my goodness. Where the unranked Orangemen are given the number seven Tar Heels all they can handle. This sounds like a perfect storm. Sharpshooter J.J. Starling was sizzling all night. Here's one of his threes to put Cuse up seven inside three minutes to play. Marvin out through space against Cormac Ryan. Back to Starling with three on the timer. Back that one in. It's a perfect switch. I'm going to start doing games without my shoes on. Little bit of a weird announcer joke there, but apparently J.J. Starling warms up without his shoes on so he can quote-unquote ground himself. I don't know. Uh, he and Judah Mintz combined for 48 points as the Orange win at 86-79. Miller and Moulton only needed them to cover what, four and a half? Yeah. They won outright. So there you go. There's your play of the day, Molly Maid. They were missing free throws down the stretch, so I'm like, if this game goes overtime, I'm just coming at you guys. Call Molly Maid today, 239-774-5839. That's 239-774-5839. And when you call them, tell them Miller and Moulton sent you and give your spouse the gift of a clean house. If you haven't done anything for Valentine's Day, might be a way to save the day. We have gotten more responses more quickly when I just flippantly asked, who was your first love? Not sports love, love. All of a sudden, Katie Burke, Debbie Della Brewer, and Diane Berkowitz come flying in in the Twitch chat room. And I know from the guy who said Diane Berkowitz, his first love was K-Line, so we're not going back any time at all for this. Only not at all. 60 years. Miller and Moulton. Bill Bender next. You're listening to Miller and Moulton. Only on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. 22 minutes before the hour. Thanks so much for being with us. Seth Everett will join us at the top of the hour. Jake Chapman, an hour from now. Magic retired their first number last night. It was Shaq. The Magic are faltering. We'll check in with Jake and the Orlando Magic coming up in a bit on the Florida Sports Network. Bill Bender is kind enough to join us once again. He covers college sports, predominantly football for the Sporting News. Follow Bill on Twix, Twitter slash X at BillBender92, BillBender92. Bill, it's David and Mark. A happy Valentine's Day to you, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh can we ask you a Valentine's Day-related question, so to speak, before we get to what it is we wanted to have you on? Do you remember either the team or the athlete that was your first sports love? Yeah, well, yeah I, could, I could probably do that. So I'm 44, if that puts you in that range, and uh, I'm a huge Green Bay Packer fan. I mean, I guess my first real 
athletes that I loved would probably be Magic Johnson, though. Um, you know, I started watching basketball a little bit. Magic and Larry Bird, and it's funny. I rooted for the Lakers at the time, but now I feel like you watch all the Facebook reels and all those things, and uh, they they definitely are, are equal in a lot of ways because of what they did for the NBA. And then for Green Bay, I mean, it's Sterling Sharp, and he's a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame. There you go. And I love very matter-of-factly when it comes to my team and my guy. I think he's right for the record, but it's a very matter-of-fact with that type of Listen, an answer. And w- when Terrell Davis got in the Hall of Fame, Mark, I thought it was going to open up the, the gates for Sterling Sharp. I really did. But, Bill, we had Jan, obviously, because college football announced or word spread yesterday that uh, $1.3 billion a year for six years for ESPN to continue the playoff. When you saw that and saw that it was just one network and they weren't going to try to spread this out, what were your initial thoughts? A little surprised because you want – everybody to have a piece of this, especially with how the networks are controlling the next step of college football. Um, I think the next couple years are going to be an experiment of sorts, and I keep saying this because we just don't know how this 12-team playoff is going to go. We can say, yeah, it's going to be great, it's going to be exciting. What if if all the first-round games are terrible for five years? People won't want to watch that. I, I think... We're never going to go backward, though. It's not like we're going to go to 12 and reduce to 8. So I think for the conferences, for the uh, networks, for those kind of how they present this thing, it's going to be a little bit they're, – they're going to have a little bit of an experiment. I mean, we don't even know how, how the constituents will look, so to speak. I know it's going to be dominated by the SEC and Big Ten. To what extent is the big question? Do you think the Big Ten should be nervous like last year, Bill? We all were trying to figure out, well, if we had a 12-team playoff this year, what would it look like? And it really looked like the final at-large would have come down to a Big Ten team, Penn State, and an SEC team, Ole Miss. If I'm a Big Ten fan, since ESPN is controlling the playoff, if you're a Big Ten fan, should you be worried that – in baseball, tie goes to the runner. In college football, tie goes to the SEC. Yeah, to some extent, yeah. I would. I mean, I don't think ESPN. It's because of ESPN per se, but I just think that game's a great example of we all watched it, and um, we watched the SEC versus Big Big Ten bowl games. Now, some people would say, "Well, those are bowl games. What do they matter?" Um, you know, Missouri beat Ohio State, but Ohio State had missing some of its best players. So now we'll get to see these games with their best players on the field, and I think that will be better for the sport. But, yeah, I, I think in a tie goes the runner situation, we'll see. I mean, it's also a year where the SEC is obviously adding Oklahoma and Texas. The Big Ten is adding four schools uh, from the – well, I think the Pac-12 is still going to be in name the Pac-12 with two schools. Um I mean, every early top 25, and I've got to update mine because it seems like the one I did in January was two years ago, um, is going to be loaded with SEC and Big Ten teams. But as the playoff goes, it looks as if now we're going to go to five five automatic bids, seven at-large bids. Do you see five teams from a conference getting in? Because it's going to be tough for Big 12-2 or ACC-2 to get in most years. For sure. And 
man, these conferences are loaded, right? Like, you look at the SEC next year, and, and Texas is, I don't I'm not going to say Texas is back. They're good, though, right? Just went to the playoffs, got a loaded roster. Got to go through them. Go through Georgia. Got to go through, you know, a good old Miss team. Alabama's still going to be good. Um, it's gonna, I think it's going to be fun. I, I think I like that part of it. And as to the playoffs, you know, outside of those two conferences, which ones are getting multiple bids on an every-year basis? I think the ACC is probably looking at one to two. Big 12, one to two. Uh, group of five, champ, one. There's five. So I would say the rest will probably go come from the Big Ten and the SEC. The Big Ten will get three to four, and the SEC will get three to four, maybe even five some years. And that's what the playoffs going to look like. So, you know, the other question is, what is the reward? You don't get a home game for being a one through four seed, which I just I still don't understand. I do because the Bulls have to be involved, but it, it's going to be weird. It's not – I don't think – I think it's going to be great. I don't think it will be – as good as the NFL playoff product, which is the best postseason product of any of these sports that I watch. Bill, do you think the Bulls survive this in this respect? Money usually does the talking. And when the top four seeds see the money that the five through eight seeds are pocketing by hosting playoff games, don't you think the one through four seeds are going to raise their hand and say, uh, yeah, do away with the buy. Let's increase this to 16. We need our home gate. Yeah, that's the next step, right? Because we skipped a step. We skipped the step of let's do an 18 playoff because eight is actually a really good number, but we're trying to reward those top four teams and trying to preserve. I, I get both sides of it. I would have gone eight, but we want we want 12, so we're giving them some sort of reward. But the reward for their fans is more travel. It's You're going to Pasadena, and then you might be going to Atlanta after a conference championship game. That's another hidden piece of this that nobody's addressed, is that I think the value of the conference championship games has certainly dwindled. Why would we ha- – if it's going to be more like the NFL – the NFL doesn't have a NFC West championship game at the end of the year. You know what I mean? So if you're just playing for playoff seeding, it's probably an extra game that you don't need to play. And I use the SEC and the Big Ten championship games as examples. The two teams that are playing in those games will be in the playoffs, you know, no matter what, right? Like we had Georgia-Texas. Georgia-Texas SEC championship game, Georgia-Texas championship game. I, that, that, that's the part of the plan that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, other than those conference championship games make a lot of money. Yeah, we know there are. But, you know, you, Bill, you wonder a couple of things. One, how many times, how many fans will go to championship games now? Because we've seen it in the Big Ten where they've had trouble selling tickets to the Big Ten championship. The SEC's never really had that problem. And the other side of it is, if you're locked into a spot, if you're ranked number one and you're playing in the SEC championship game, which becomes a meaningless game because you're already in the playoff, could you see teams actually resting players in an SEC championship to get ready for the playoffs? That's another consequence of this. It could happen. Or they could get in the game and if it's either, you know, they could pull starters early in those 
kind of things that you used to see in Week 17 in the NFL before teams would actually just sit them, you know, and not play their starters and not risk that. And that's the tough one for the SEC because the SEC championship game is so ingrained in the conference's identity, I understand that part of it. But, that, I mean, what's the value of it now? That that was an identity that was part of college football in 1992 and through the BCS era and through the four-team era. Like you said, it's, it doesn't – I've been to some Big Ten championship games that were just, ugh, you know, like what I – is kind of snoozers, so to speak. Um, and – that that's really been the case the last couple of years with Michigan winning it, honestly. He's Bill Bender, covers college football for the Sporting News. Follow him on Twix, Twitter slash X at Bill Bender92. Bill Bender92. All right. So last week, Petiti and Sankey announced they're gonna start talking, meeting, and uh, try to come up with some solutions to the jambalaya that is big time college football right now. We think, for what it's worth, Bill, that making the student-athlete, and we use that term loosely, employees, is the answer because that's the only way you're going to be able to control costs, that the way it is now is the complete Wild West. And also, when you make someone an employee, you can either retain them or get rid of them. And I think we think the colleges and the conferences will like that. But what are you hearing in terms of what it is Petiti and Sankey? with all the money that their conferences bring in, and now all the money that the sport at large is going to bring in. They know the revenue in every conference, basically, Bill, through 2030, 31. What do you think Sankey and Petiti are looking to do? Um, you know, that it's going to head in that direction. They're going to work together, I think, on some level, because the, again, those are the two sports that drive the bus with the revenue, the TV with the interest. I mean, those are how many programs in the SEC and the Big Ten are in the top revenue-producing programs in the country? Most of them. Um, and you just added Texas and Oklahoma and USC. I mean, those are three more. So, I think they're going to steer us into that discussion. And the three things that need reform in college football or it will spin out of control or continue to spin out of control are the recruiting calendar, the calendar itself of when to open and close the portal, when to allow kids to sign. I think they should bump signing day up. Then you get into NIL. Should we revenue sharing and make them employees? I think they should. I think there'll be a lot of resistance to that, though. Um, It's an uncomfortable conversation right now, but it's the one that sport needs and then i think you fix those two things the transfer portal issue will take care of itself and by issue i don't think it's a bad thing that uh athletes are allowed to transfer and come and go as they please i think less will do that if you fix the first two parts well right because they're transferring for money i mean that's the that's the biggest pay-for-play out there. The recruiting pay-for-play is one thing, but the transfer pay-for-play is a problem. And if they don't, I think, you're, Bill, you're right on. If they don't fix that, we will spiral out of control. The only question I have for you, too, is the other side. How many more coaches are going to leave college to go to the NFL while this is getting fixed? Well, I think it's not so much how many, but where are those coaches leaving from? 
you know, look where they came. They left. Jeff Halfley, Boston College, hard place to compete. UCLA, Chip Kelly, that's unprecedented. I mean, I know SEC coaches have been fired and then got another job at another SEC school, but I haven't heard of one voluntarily leaving one to go take a coordinator job at the other, you know, with UCLA coming to the Big Ten. So I think that's another, man, that's not a great look. It's great for Ohio State. It's not great for college football. Um, so I think those are kind of things that need fixed. And, and in terms of because it was UCLA and BC, it's almost like college football needs three separate divisions now. You need the bottom one with the uh, group of five schools. You need a middle one that would be like schools that can contend but maybe can't quite compete with the superstores. And then 40 to 50 schools. It's probably about 40 that can actually compete for the national championship. But in this 12-team playoff, there will be the illusion that more teams can compete. And that's why I say it's going to be a little bit of an experiment, and I don't even know what to expect when we get those 12 teams in there. Uh, Bill, uh, did you go with candy, chocolate, dinner, flowers? What would you go with today? <laughs> we'll definitely have dinner tonight. Uh, we, we're always on the go. We'll have a basketball practice with the kids first, and then we'll figure something out for dinner. And, uh, yeah, well, Valentine's Day is fun. And like I said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. There you little go. Drive through romance, Bill. Little drive through romance. We feel it. The heart shaped pizzas, that, like, those are a thing now. Bill, all the best to you and the family. Thanks for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Bill Bender from the Sporting News talking <laughs> college football and Valentine's Day. Heart shaped pizzas. That's outstanding. A true romantic is next. Seth Everett. I don't know what he romanticizes about. Could the New be Jersey Devils. With a big win last night, so we know Seth will be in a good mood. He's up next. Miller and Moulton, thanks for listening. Florida Sports Network.